Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North America and all the ships at sea. This is Philip Terzian, literary editor of the Weekly Standard, and this is my weekly podcast on the books and arts section of the Weekly Standard. And this week we're looking at the books and arts section for the August 10th issue of the Weekly Standard. Our lead review is by historian Richard Streiner, and it's of a book entitled Who Freed the Slaves? The Fight Over the 13th Amendment by Leonard Richards from University of Chicago Press, which is an interesting subject because, as uh, every schoolboy and schoolgirl knows, the freeing of the slaves uh, during the Civil War was a rather more complicated matter than we tend to think Lincoln just didn't uh, uh, wake up one morning and free the slaves. Um, he, of course, issued the uh, Emancipation Proclamation, uh, which didn't take, which, of course, only affected certain parts of the, the then fractured country. Um, so this book is um, largely about the adoption of the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which constitutionally... Um, uh, ended slavery, and it's a it's an interesting, complicated story which um, some might be familiar with in popular culture from the uh, movie biography of Lincoln a uh, year or two ago, <clears throat> starring Daniel Day Lewis, which concentrated uh, to some degree on the passage of the Thirteenth Amendment. But Richard Strainer, who has written a book on um, entitled Father Abraham on Lincoln's um, uh, attitude toward abolition and emancipation and how he did free the slaves and how he did transform the Civil War from a uh, uh, war to preserve the Union into a uh, 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 yet a, another crusade to end slavery uh, does a fine job of analyzing the the whole complicated question and also resurrecting some of the uh, now forgotten players in the historic drama who probably deserve a bit more recognition than they have. That is followed by an, a piece by Ronald Radosh, um, the distinguished Cold War historian, on an interesting book that, um, entitled The Double Life of Fidel Castro. The subtitle is My 17 Years as Personal Bodyguard to El Líder Maximo. I'm sorry for my Spanish, and the author is Juan Reynaldo Sanchez. Uh, Mr. Sanchez, who um, I'm sorry to say died around the time of the publication of this book, was a um, a Cuban army officer who spent uh, nearly two decades as um, Fidel Castro's personal bodyguard, and uh, in the in the sense that no man is a hero to his valet, um, he paints a profile of of Fidel, which is um, nothing we haven't heard before, I would say, although obviously there are many intimate details that are new. But it will perhaps come as a surprise to those, um, and who knows who they might be, who cling to the notion of Fidel Castro as a uh, ascetic, self-sacrificing revolutionary who sleeps on the floor every evening and um, leads a quiet, humble existence. Of course, he leads nothing of the sort. He leads the sort of standard lifestyle of a uh, uh, Latin dictator, which is exactly, of course, what he has been for the past half century and more. 
Um, and also, um, there's a kind of sinister side to it as well as just the mere uh, corruption and self-indulgence in that um, the the criminal activity that's taken place uh, under the guise of the Castro regime has been very nicely covered up over time by um, strategic killings of people who know too much and uh, altogether a kind of gangster atmosphere that knowing what we do about Cuba and about Dr. Castro, one can well imagine. Ronald Radosh, um, as always, sums this up in a very interesting and, if I may say, fair-minded way. Um, but the book is called The Double Life of Fidel Castro by Juan Reynaldo Sanchez. Um, and I think in the literature of Castro, um, it's a book that uh, probably ought to be read, uh, particularly now when we're uh, have just formally reestablished relations, uh, diplomatic relations with Cuba. And the Obama administration seems determined to accelerate the uh, the uh, uh, restored relations between our country and communist Cuba. That is followed by a review by John Cech, who is a um, professor of music theory, on an interesting book called Playing Scared, a History and Memoir of Stage Fright by... Uh, Sarah Solovich. Sarah Solovich is herself a musician whose um, career was blighted by stage fright. And it's an interesting book. Um, it was of interest to me, partly because I I play a musical instrument or two myself and have, over time, uh, uh, in fact, in those days when I was playing the piano and engaging in recitals, I suffered from stage fright, I suppose, as much as anyone does. I think it's more of a, uh, except for the occasional genius out there, it's probably a more universal phenomenon than we imagine. But of course, it's not easy when you find playing the piano um, relatively difficult to begin with, especially if you're not a gifted sight reader, as I never was, uh, to be out there on stage with who knows how many people staring intently at you and uh, manipulating your fingers in a way that you play effortlessly is um, is enough to give anyone some version of stage fright. And of course, stage fright has been uh, has been a blight for for people who you wouldn't imagine uh, suffer from stage fright. I used as an illustration, incidentally, a photograph of Vladimir Horowitz's famous concert at Carnegie Hall in 1965. I remember it well. I wasn't there, but I do remember the occasion well, the excitement surrounding it, because Horowitz, who suffered from stage fright periodically in his career, hadn't been on stage for a dozen years, hadn't been on stage since 1953, and this was his first venture out on stage again. And of course, as we know, it was a great triumph for Horowitz and a and uh, um, got him over the hump, as it were. But the book is an interesting examination of of the phenomenon, how it works psychologically, and how musicians and and actors and others, um, for that matter, politicians, um, have dealt with the problem. That is followed by a review by James Matthew Wilson, who uh, teaches uh, English literature at Villanova. It's a book entitled Young Elliot from St. Louis to the Wasteland by Robert Crawford. This is a um, uh, first installment of what I presume to be a two-volume life of Elliot, which uh, takes him from birth up to the publication of The Wasteland in 1922 when he was 
34 years old. One thing that's often forgotten about um, about Eliot is that um, uh, his Englishness was so self-conscious and so exaggerated in some ways that we 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 always have to remind ourselves that he was an American and not just an American but a New Englander by way of St. Louis. Uh, Eliot himself always acknowledged both in his writings and in his poetry the great debt he owed to St. Louis as a formative place in his life uh, affected his life and and thought and poetry much more than I think literary scholars tend to think. And uh, James Wilson has, has written a very interesting essay about this complicated man uh, who went from St. Louis back to his ancestral New England and then from there, of course, uh, to Oxford and his ancestral Old England and the process by which he decided uh, in the first decade or two of the 20th century to remain in England and why. Um, it's always, at least for me, it's, a, it's an evergreen, a story with evergreen interest and I hope that it will uh, refresh uh, interest in Eliot as a poet and, and cultural figure, in my view, one of the great cultural figures of our lifetime. That's followed by a a interesting um, review of a novel by uh, the, the review is by Stephen Schwartz. The novel is by a a Croatian uh, woman novelist named Daza Durndić. I hope I'm not uh, massacring the pronunciation of her name, but it's a novel. Um, it's a kind of historic magic realist novel set in the city of Trieste, which of course is a um, city uh, sort of straddling um, the Balkans and Italy on the Adriatic, and uh, it sounds like a fascinating um, novel uh, with a successful, um, successfully pulled off by uh, um, a, as I say, a, a Croatian novelist who writes in English as as readily as in her native Croatian, and because it's a kind of, it's an it's a it's a novel, but it's it's set in in historic times, and so actual historic figures walk in and out of the plot. Um, sounds very interesting. It sounds almost very cinematic. I wouldn't be surprised if we were going to see a film version one of these days of Trieste, but but uh, Trieste by Daza Derndich. If you're interested, Stephen Schwartz has written one of his patented uh, fascinating essays on the subject. We have no movie review this week from John Podhoritz, but a good essay from Joe Queenan on the problems of human android love as they have um, manifested themselves in um, such recent movies as Tomorrowland and Ex Machina and um, Her and a few others. Um, uh, he goes in a little bit into the history of human android love and comes to the probably expected conclusion that it's um, fated uh, not to go very far, but it's a funny piece, which I hope you will enjoy reading as much as I did. That is the August 10th issue of the Weekly Standards Books and Arts section. I thank you very much for joining me. I look forward to talking to you soon about the August 17th issue. See you then.